The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Paxton Wright. With me is Justin Kiever. Justin, how you doing? You're back and better than ever. Hey, I'm back and uh, I'm being told that I'm better than ever. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. We'll find out. Do I still have... uh, better than ever, Justin. (laughs) Just play along. Uh, I'm better than ever. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it's it's good to be back. It's been a while. It's been a um, it's been a while. It's been a wild summer, let me tell you. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to see if I still have this whole um radio hosting thing in me. I guess we'll find out as the hour progresses. Let's find out if we ever had it in either of us to begin with. Um, <laughs> you know, we're only on what episode 42, 43. This this might be this might be the one. This might be the one, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess um. While in your absence, we had a couple guest hosts. We had the great Issa Rashid. We had the we had Andrew Beard, uh, or Andrew Weston, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I am I am kidding. He's a lovely man. But uh, for those who who listened, um, they know I like to roast. They know I like to roast that gentleman. And so even in his absence, I will roast him. Uh, but yes, thanks to both of them for agreeing to come on the show uh especially especially isa who was fairly last minute um so that was oh oh who's that uh, there's I've, uh and with me now that i'm back fergus is back too. say hello fergus say hello directly into the mic unlike distantly from the mic like you're doing and of course naturally when i hold him up to the microphone he doesn't <laughs> meow at all just yeah. awful fergus, no no professionalism fergus Fergus is a producer at heart. He's not, he, he doesn't have performance chops and that's okay. Not all of us do. Uh, yep. Got a Fergus, uh, Artaxerxes, Fergus and the third on the ones and the twos. Um, <laughs> uh, Fergus <sighs> is Justin's cat, by the way. I don't know if we have ever clarified that before, but <laughs> he's just this guy. I know that meows a lot. Um, <laughs> and I was holding him up to the microphone. <laughs> um, uh yeah anyway yeah it's good to be back i'm really happy to be back um uh yeah so this week uh yeah we are starting off as we normally do with uh you know a news segment i guess i don't know if we've been normally doing that for the last couple weeks but we've done that in the past um in episodes like one through 40 and (laughs) uh yeah and uh 
I sound too bubbly for the news story that we're actually going <laughs> to talk about. To say, so this like, has been a very jovial hour. intro for what's yeah, about to be um, a real bummer. Yeah, no, we're about to we're about to have a not fun news segment again because uh, there's some not fun entertainment news uh, happening, um, you know, out there in the world. So yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, the Activision Blizzard lawsuit. Uh, so you know, like as I'm sure you know, our as I'm sh- as I'm sure our listeners are probably you know aware because this has been like you know a really major story. Um, the uh, state of California is suing uh, Activision Blizzard for uh, basically for a workplace discrimination and um, for about the most like horrifically toxic workplace imaginable, which is not. We'll get into the details in a minute, but obviously it's incredibly well document, documented that this is pervasive throughout like the whole games industry, particularly in the AAA sphere. Um, but uh, uh, it really speaks volumes when the actual state of California feels the need to get involved like, oh, this is this is grotesque. Yeah, and, and apparently, like, you know, it's been, like, this is, uh, you know, the end result of a uh, pretty extensive investigation that the state has been uh, undergoing for about two years now or mm-hmm. something, like, something like that. And, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, it's bad, folks. I mean, like, there's some kind of, like, I mean, there, there are, you know, um, good elements to the story i would say insofar as like there's a kind of um you know collective action happening like at the level of like the staff at activision blizzard right now i'm sure we'll get into that a little more and it's good to kind of like see uh you know worker solidarity um you know like in response to this kind of um this uh you know this report about this kind of like toxicity as well as you know this uh this like refusal by the workers to accept the kind of like the really kind of callous statement that um, Activision Blizzard made in response. Uh, so like there is some kind of like, you know, positivity in the form of, uh, you know, um, worker activism to acknowledge, but we should also kind of talk about like the, the meat of like the, uh, well, the meat of the lawsuit and uh, you know, like what's been kind of um, unveiled uh, about like the, you know, about kind of like a, this culture of a harassment and kind of a systematic discrimination um, and more, frankly, and more. Oh, yeah. That's uh, been, uh, you know, that's been happening at a, uh, at, a, at a Activision Blizzard. It really is one of those lawsuits where you read it and with each detail listed, like your jaw just drops a little more. Like, how was this taking place? This is like, this is like, beyond it's like beyond mad men a little bit in terms of just like the horrific treatment of its female employees like by comparison like sterling cooper draper price seems like an incredibly progressive workplace um it's it's like a little closer to like the like wolf of wall street level kind of like like it's not like you know as like debauched in, in terms of like this kind of you know but pretty I mean, debauched. It's, it's, you know, it's a bot. Like, like, it's not like, you know, it's not as, um, like I'm thinking like the plain scenes and the kind of like the extravagant wealth on display. That's what I mean by debauched. It's more of just kind of like g- good old fashioned extreme sexism and like, you know, rape culture awfulness. Like it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know, like, I, I kind of don't even know where to begin. I mean, like, we I think should probably, 
we should probably be get, we actually probably should have done this before and uh, apologies in advance, but we should probably like provide a content warning for those who are unfamiliar with the story or are familiar and not really equipped to deal with the details right now because it is uh, very extreme um, as far as uh, sexual misconduct and uh, uh, harassment in general. It's, it's, it's intense stuff. So yeah. discretion advised. Um, yeah, I have some of some excerpts from the lawsuit right here. Probably, probably the one that has been circulated the most. Uh, I, fortunately, um, Jason Schreier, I believe is the pronunciation of his name, the games journalist who is sort of the one who, um, uh, he didn't break this story, but he made a lengthy Twitter thread, which basically had all the sort of, um, most, uh noteworthy excerpts from the lawsuit um he sort of broke this uh this excerpt that has sort of made the rounds uh defendants have also fostered a pervasive frat boy workplace culture that continues to thrive in the office women are subjected to cube crawls in which male employees drink copious amounts of alcohol as they crawl their way through the various cubicles in the office and often engage in inappropriate behavior toward female employees male employees proudly come into work hungover play video games for long periods of time during work while delegating their responsibilities to female employees engage in banter about their sexual encounters talk openly about female bodies and joke about rape uh goes on to say in another example a female employee who worked at blizzard entertainment was assigned to a lower level denied equal pay and passed over for a promotion despite multiple factors that suggested she earned it uh including one highly rated performance reviews two she generated significantly more revenue in her marketing campaigns than her male counterpart and three she ran almost twice as many campaigns as her male counterpart uh, despite her accomplishments her male counterpart was invited to have a monthly or weekly one-on-one -on -one meetings with the vice president she was not afforded these same opportunities and unsurprisingly was passed over for a promotion in favor of her male counterpart similarly other female employees at blizzard entertainment were assigned to lower level roles denied equal pay and further delayed or passed over for promotions in favor of male counterparts who lacked the same experience or qualifications but who were friends with the male head of the unit a newly promoted male supervisor delegated his responsibilities to his now female subordinates in favor of playing call of duty other male supervisors would refuse to communicate with uh, female employees going to their male counterparts for information so yeah really uh really cool cool dudes uh occupying um occupying that space i'm gonna guess uh some of them I'm going to guess uh, Come Town is a really popular podcast around those offices. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to be honest. I think that's being unkind to Come Town. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's maybe a bridge too far. Um, yeah, like I, I think like there's a kind of um, like that's the thing is like the the thing about the, the JRE story, office. That might be un okay. It passed a certain, maybe not past a certain point where, like, my understanding is Joe Rogan became like a real kind of like COVID truther in the last like year, insofar as he's like COVID, you know, COVID doesn't exist, blah, 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 or something, something along those lines. That might even be unkind to JRE. Like, I think there's a kind of like, <laughs> I think this is beyond, like, like, there's something, um, 
like the thing that is, I don't want to say interesting, but I think the thing that is kind of revealing about this story is the way that like this kind of, um, the, the sort of like very structural kind of, uh, uh, you could say a structural kind of like economic uh, sexism that's at play is um, reflective of and likely productive of to a certain extent, the kind of like the, the, the cultural uh, sexism that's at work inside the office as well. And like some other things that, um, uh, I thought were like worth mentioning was that um, basically uh, there's a kind of I mean there there was one story that I read and forgive me, forgive me if I, I was kind of like you know overwhelmed by all of the details so if this is we already covered like there was um the case of uh, an African American woman or uh, at least in the block quote here you know a, a black woman who um was basically uh, you know like when requesting PTO would have to like, you know, provide like a detailed report on like what what would actually be happening in that PTO that, you know, like in order to justify the time off. And this is someone who was also like, you know, passed over for promotions and, you know, like, you know, faced uh, wage discrimination as well. And like, so there's this, like this level of kind of like surveillance of employees that is like, you know, unequal that is happening uh, as well. And I mean, and then all of this, you know, like then kind of bleeds into, um, the sort of the behavior uh, um, that has been kind of uh, discussed um, is like occurring. And so uh, Paxton, did you read about the cube crawls thing? Uh, I mean, uh, not extensively, not much more beyond than what was uh, shared in the the suit itself. Um, I, I didn't get into the nitty gritty of it, no. Yeah, no, I mean, like I, like, you know, it's not like I did like any, I did, I did not do any extensive reading on like the exact details. Cause I mean, you know, what was there was enough, but this kind of like, you know, this like culture of drinking as like, you know, basically like the, you know, the male employees just go around like, you know, while drunk harassing women in the workplace itself. Um, which is just kind of, uh, I will say, you know, having worked in a couple offices, like pr- pretty, unconscionable um and then the uh and then of course the there's the case of the cosby suite and did you read about that i was gonna bring that one up next yes okay i'll I'll let you take the lead on that if you would like to yes yes so that actually began in uh 2013 it was uh one of the world of warcraft developers uh, what is his name again um I am probably going to mispronounce this last name, but um, Alex uh, Afrasiabi in 2013 uh, had a hotel room, which was dubbed uh, by the by his uh, counterparts as the uh, back at BlizzCon had this hotel room dubbed by his counterparts as the Cosby suite. Now, this was 2013, so uh, it was obviously a very different, um, there was a very different uh, attitude surrounding Bill Cosby. It was in reference to the uh, uh, color of his wall, of the walls, which they said resembled a Cosby sweater. Um, And it was essentially, the room was uh, uh, a place to quote unquote network, and by network means get absolutely trashed and uh for basically all the male employees and they kept the name cosby suite uh i believe for uh, for um uh asa uh afrasiabi's office correct they sort of dubbed that the cosby suite uh i hope i think i'm getting these details right dubbed it the cosby suite after the allegations 
against Cosby came out um, and uh, basically created sort of a running joke throughout the office that it was that it was an that it was an environment to um, replicate and uh, embrace uh, Bill Cosby's behavior. And they had a photo of Bill Cosby uh, uh, mounted on the wall um, where they sort of jokingly were saying that they were like bowing to the great Lord Cosby and things of that nature. Um, I believe that this is for the this is for the office, correct? This is not for a hotel room. I, it started as a I hotel think, room and then it was changed. I, I think it's for a hotel room, but then again, I you know it did you know, start as a wrong. hotel room. I know that, but then I think it was one of the offices at the uh, at at the um, Activision HQ that was then dubbed the Cosby Suite in sort of. Uh... So well, here's well, here's one thing that I read that like there's a um, there's pushback that. So here, one source said that they were told it was a reference to the ugly boardroom back at Blizzard's main office. Um, but uh, another ex-Blizzard source pushed back. I'm quoting a Kotaku article here. Uh, another ex-Blizzard source pushed back on the claims that the Cosby suite was a joke about ugly boardrooms or sweaters, noting that when Blizzard moved to its new Irvine, California campus in 2008, the office had been freshly painted. And to their knowledge, there was no infamous ugly boardroom. Um, now, I mean, you know, I knew that I do know that the joke was then carried on and uh, sort of rewarped in the uh, in the uh, light of Bill Cosby's uh, past actions, though. I, I and I know that that's where it sort of got more grotesque. And I believe there was a yeah, there was a Facebook uh, there was a, a Facebook group, a private Facebook group. Um, where uh, a lot of comments got published that I don't even think I can quote too many of them on the radio um, because they are the, pretty grotesque. But there, there, a, there is like one very direct one that we cannot quote. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, there is a um, so yeah, like the group is called the uh, BlizzCon Cosby Crew, and I mean, I guess I think we can quote this one. Like the first one is "I'm gathering hot chicks for the cause," and then you know a lot of uh, kind of uh, encouragement um after that and uh yeah it's um and then the thing is and this is kind of you know and we're sort of like circling around i think like one of the there's like a detail in the story that i think has been the the big one that people have kind of uh really uh and rightfully uh latched onto which is that um there's a you know like and, and this is also, I think, like one of the one of the big reasons for the content warning at the top of the show, you know, if you're still listening, but like there, uh, a woman who is involved in a, uh, you know, what we'll call like what has been called a relationship with a higher up, you know, did eventually commit suicide, uh, apparent, apparently. Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if like causality has like been like, you know, fully reported, but I mean, there was a... Uh, I can't and also now I want to get this detail right but I'm trying to remember like when um yes here we go in a tragic example a female employee committed suicide during a business during a business trip with a male supervisor uh who had brought um uh you know uh uh, sex toys and such uh with him uh, on the trip so yeah so like there's a kind of um so like one thing I find very like weird is that like there, there's this um 
uh, in the reporting. And, and this is like not, you know, uh, this is not a, a, critique, a critique really, but there's this kind of, um, I keep on seeing the, the quote of like, you know, like the uh, referring to Activision Blizzard as a quote unquote, like frat boy workplace. And while I think, you know, like the, the frat boy kind of, um, you know, given how, especially given how much more critical we've like collectively become of like frat culture, I think in the last uh, decade or so, like that description makes sense. But I mean, it's, I still think it kind of um, ascribes a sort of uh, a boys will be boys sort of innocence to it. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And like, that's, and I think, you know, when the stakes, when it's been demonstrated that the stakes of this are, you know, like directly life or death which i mean like when you know like frankly when it comes to like you know wage discrimination those stakes are life or death too but like you know like so kind of you know yeah like it's terrible right you know i don't know what to say like it's really it's uh, bad and, and we're really just scratching the surface on the details here um there's uh, there's been a lot of talk about it the last few days the other thing that uh uh has since activision has since walked back because of how uh how poorly um their initial response was was from their uh was from the uh, uh their their um spokesman um who issued a statement in response to the lawsuit which uh, it's lengthy, but I'll try to, you know, sort of boil it down and read it fast. Um, it says the DFEH uh, includes distorted and in many cases, false descriptions of Blizzard's past. We have been extremely cooperative with the DFEH throughout their investigation, including providing them with extensive data and ample documentation, but they refused to inform us what issues they perceived. They were required by law to adequately investigate and have good faith discussions with us, but uh, to better understand and to resolve any claims or concerns before going to litigation, but they failed to do so. Instead, they rushed to file an inaccurate complaint as we will demonstrate in court. We are sickened by the reprehensible conduct of the DFEH to drag into the complaint the tragic suicide of an employee whose passing has no bearing whatsoever on this case and with no regard for her grieving family. While we find this behavior to be disgraceful and unprofessional, it is unfortunately an example of how they have conducted themselves throughout the course of their investigation. It is this type of irresponsible behavior from unaccountable state bureaucrats that are driving many of the state's best businesses out of California. So... They've gone like full Daily Wire libertarian rant here. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I basically, I did not finish this paragraph when I first like read it because I read like the first part and I was like, I get it. But like the weird, like the turn, yeah, the turn toward that exact kind of like libertarian, like like great exodus from California, like rhetoric is just wild. It's a, an official statement. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Insane. It was so and it was uh, it lacked so much tact and received so much blowback that uh, Bobby Kotick, who also some interesting details about uh, the uh, Activision CEO, did end up walking those claims back and saying that they were uh, what is the exact word tone deaf, uh, yeah. which is not even doing it justice. Um, Bobby Kotick, uh, just fun fact that is actually not really being discussed that much in this story, uh, which I feel it probably really should be a lot more. Um, his name is uh, uh, under under a certain Charles Koch in a certain little black book 
that many of us have heard a lot about in the last couple of years. Oh, right. I heard about this. Yep. Yes. Owned by one uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Um, so, again, the layers just keep peeling off this thing. Uh, really goes all the way to the top, as they say. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I, yeah i mean i guess we only have a few more minutes in this segment and like it's it, it, like yeah you know it, it's all bad but there is at least you know I, I do want to kind of not just to kind of like you know tonally save us or anything but because like there is actually some like good resistance i think or at least like some you know the appearance of some good resistance happening kind of like on the ground at blizzard where i know like there was a um where the like the the general staff like in response to it really in in, uh, in my understanding is like the really the straw that broke the camel's back was this like statement basically like denying all these allegations um like they, they uh, staged a walkout on wednesday um and uh, like i think like thousands of employees you know uh, it was out. it was a massive amount of employees yeah yeah um which was encouraging to see um and in a show of good faith aka a show of good pr uh activision granted those employees pto for their uh for their walkout i think um, also like um as some as i saw someone point out like you know like registering for pto when you're doing that is also a great way to essentially tattle on yourself as having you know walked oh out. i didn't even consider that good so Lord. yeah what a what a show of good faith Oof. um yeah uh they've also they also came out and said uh another thing they said was they're offering in the wake of uh, of this, uh, this investigation, they've offered readmission to the uh, any of the unjustly um, uh, uh, laid off um, uh, female employees in the last few years. Which is like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I'm sure they'd love to come back to that office. What a what a cool thing you guys did. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah it's it's a whole can of worms but you know grateful at least that there is um actually such a strong resistance here and actually that people are hearing about this story who aren't plugged into the games industry um the fact that the story is making major headlines the fact that like my parents know about it um is like an encouraging thing to see to see that this has actually like really made an impact because this is happening all the time this is hap- as I, we said this happened this has been widely reported at riot games at quantic dream who also quantic dream david cage i believe is um is uh facing a pretty significant lawsuit in france if i'm not mistaken um, uh yeah yeah that was uh reported about a month ago i think i think we, we wanted to talk about it it's um yeah um some it, very some very similar material it doesn't help that david cage's uh uh in his video uh that he recorded denying the allegations i think this is before the lawsuit um just during the investigation doesn't help that he was issuing his apology in front of a cluttered office wall, which featured a very, uh, I can't really say it on the radio, but a very graphic uh, drawing labeled a four letter word that starts with D, but um, 
in his in his denial of any workplace harassment or misconduct. It's a classy look. Um, that's just but, the that, that's the incredibly <laughs> on the nose and non subtle uh, kind of mise en scene that I've come to expect from David Cage. <laughs> it really is on brand, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, point being, it, it, I I wish Activision's workers well. I wish Bobby Kotick and uh, these these uh, these employees who are behind all this uh, not well, not horrible, but not well. Um, and I wish to see some really significant systemic change in Activision and the games industry on a whole. And uh, wishful thinking, maybe, but I still wish to see it. Um, but yes, it is good that uh, the story is actually making its rounds among people who are not plugged into this industry because, uh, you know, again, like Riot and Quantic Dream and so many others, uh, if you're not tuned in to this stuff, you probably have no idea about it. Odds are. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully when we talk about this next, we'll be talking about like major changes at Activision Blizzard. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, well, that's going to do it for our first half. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk about uh, more fun stuff. We'll be talking about Mass Effect. We are going to continue that discussion. Uh, this might be our last episode for a while on Mass Effect, but uh, yeah, we'll see. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is, uh, you are listening rather to Socially Distanced. Uh, I'm Justin Kiever and with me is uh, the other host of Socially Distanced, uh, Paxton Wright. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. It um, feels like I'm it's like, been like a whole like two to three minutes since we last talked. Uh, at least, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's new you know, these days? I feel like there was like a song that kind of, uh, you know, like there's in my head for those two or three minutes. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> the joke is we live in the radio. We are yeah. little people that live in your car radio. There are many of us and we only get to wake up when you turn us on. And we see what you're doing in there. We see what is happening in your car and it's not pretty. Just know people can see you in there right now. And yeah, it's us. You are terrible at parallel parking, and we're here to judge you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is, uh, you know, this is uh, the back half of the show. So we're doing our, uh, you know, our, our media discussion segment, uh, Feast in the Weast. Um, and yeah, uh, I think we are continuing our Mass Effect discussion, which we've kind of had on hiatus for a while because of uh, 
me but um now that uh there's a me again we're talking about mass effect again yeah it was really sad when you uh vanished from the face of the earth and from people's radios for a few weeks there um but we're glad that you've sort of uh uh you know re uh recomposed today that's exciting (laughs) um yes no so this will be this, this might be our last discussion on Mass Effect for a while, and we'll get to why in a minute. We'll probably still return to it, but we'll get to why in a minute. Um, so I have been sort of uh, logging my experience going through the Mass Effect uh, uh, trilogy. The, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking The remaster. Um, and had an interesting time with one, as we've discussed. Uh, Mass Effect 1 is very good, but deeply flawed. Mass Effect 2, incredible. Still up there as one of my favorite games of all times, although the cracks in the facade are certainly more um, are more abundant and noticeable in 2021, although still a pretty exceptional game. And uh, last time I had talked, we did not, I, I don't believe I'd gotten to the suicide mission, the final mission yet. And I do want to talk about that as well. Now I'm on to Mass Effect 3, which is generally obviously next to Andromeda, um, probably the most controversial in the franchise. Maybe more controversial than Andromeda because people pretty much universally hated Andromeda. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Andromeda is not controversial. People just think it's bad. Yeah, it's generally, there's there's actually quite a bit of solidarity around Andromeda. But 3 is uh, three is the more kind of hot button one. And I was always sort of on the fence on 3. I leaned toward quite liking it uh, growing up. I always hated the ending um which i know actually justin you have some defenses on and we can probably get back to that later um but i was never a fan of the ending uh as many people were not and i i had some other qualms with it but i generally quite liked it and i have logged about maybe eight to ten hours into it so far and that was like three weeks ago, and I have had no desire to pick it back up. And I will eventually, but boy, oh boy, has that game. It's not even bad. Like, that's kind of the part I really want to get into. Mass Effect 3, in many ways, it has its moments where it is like the most brilliant the franchise ever gets. There is so much about it that works. And yet there are also elements to it that do not work in a way that affects the overall experience so much more than any of the elements or one or two that that have not held up. Um, three to me, I think the problem I have most with it is that it feels the most... You can feel EA's influence all over it. You can feel that they were like, all right, Mass Effect 1 and 2 sold well. We made our budget back, but they were not big hot blockbuster releases that we wanted them to be so let's you know gears of warify this let's really put a big emphasis on combat uh let's sort of make the story beats more bombastic 
like let's make the story more bombastic and huge let's make this an epic let's not let's avoid this being anything that's really all that interesting about like its universe or really kind of carefully delving into its characters like there'll be some of that but this is going to be a big bombastic epic which i get is also because it's tying up a trilogy that is all about leading up to the apocalypse and so three is about the apocalypse happening but there is a there's like a frustrating Michael Bay-ness to it that I, and a lot of forced emotion that it, it feels undeserved. There's a lot of stuff involving a child dying at the beginning of the game, which is like weighing on Commander Shepard's conscience that feels like emotional manipulation, really. Um I've got problems with it, and I'm just kind of giving the spark notes as to those problems. But it's also really good. I don't know, man. It's weird. <laughs> it's a weird game. Yeah. So, like, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I'm pretty much here entirely operating on memory, but I did play through Mass Effect three multiple times, and I have generally been more, much more positive on that game than I think most people are. Um, I uh, think that, and like the thing that I'm like you're willing to go to to go to bat for like on the game's behalf is like how bombastic it is. Like, I think that um, I like the combat focus. I think the combat in that game mostly feels pretty great. It it might just be entirely because there is like one, this feels weird to kind of talk about, but like there is one kind of like semi-automatic rifle. It's like the default thing that like the evil Cerberus people Use. it's a good rifle and yeah it's a good it, rifle it just sounds really good it has this it nice right kind of like top too yeah it's got this like great just kind of like metallic kind of like clang like sort of like you know like you're like you're hitting like this like piece of metal with a hammer when you fire it and it just like it it sounds good and it's just kind of like that thing you know that thing kind of like makes the the combat kind of like work in a way that like like i don't think um like like i think the game really like you know just mechanically leans into a kind of like um mass effect 2 sort of really really begins as like rock paper scissors kind of uh system with the powers where you know like you use warp on barrier use overload on shield and then like once you've gotten rid of all of that you know use the gun on like health and like uh three i think like really really leans into that in a kind of more action focus and i i think it really works like i think it's a simple system that works pretty well and then like you're a little more mobile and like yeah i don't know and i think also the action focus just it makes sense for the story like this is yeah like as you said like this you know this is a story that is building up to the apocalypse and then the apocalypse happens and i mean admittedly you know, I, I think it's maybe not a terribly interesting way to deal with this kind of apocalypse because like they, they do basically have to introduce a lot of like, you know, kind of a, we, we've been seeing in earlier in the trilogy, you see husks, you know, which are like sort of like reaper possessed people and they have to come up with a lot of different versions of those to give you things to fight. So, you know, like it becomes a ground war, which is, you know, like given the way the reapers are talked about in the previous two games, I'll admit, a little weird you know like these like reapers are kind of you know these big but like these like ship sized like you know city sized biomechanical you know machines that seem to just kind of that you would think would just kind of do the work on their own and there really wouldn't be much of a war to fight but it becomes a war becomes like you know a weirdly winnable war and that's maybe a little lazy like yeah therein kind of lies my problem is it just it, it just the game kind 
again, it being EA, and also I believe I, I'm forgetting their names, but the uh, I think the lead writers from one and two, or it's the creative directors, I can't remember, left for three, and you can feel that absence in the games. Uh, yeah, I think like one of the writers left, and I don't think that the um, the director left until after. After I'm, not, I'm going by I'm going by memory though I might be wrong. There is a tonal absence, uh, like, and just a general uh, like absence in its storytelling that you can feel from the previous two, and it's hard to even totally put your finger on it because the dialogue for the most part still is quite good. Um, it just felt like. It felt like it was a game that was advertising itself a little more, if that makes sense. And it felt like it was addressing topics that in some ways work, in some ways don't, that the games never really had any interest in really delving into. Mass Effect 1 and 2 like kind of touch on the whole AI and VI thing. Um, Mass Effect 2 more so when they introduced the character of Edie, who's the ship's virtual intelligence that sort of is like like Iron Man's Jarvis basically, but for Mass Effect 2. Um, and they sort of touch on the fact that like they, they discuss how like the uh, the council, the like galactic council has like severe, severe um, uh, regulations on artificial intelligence and virtual intelligence um, to sort of prevent anything like, a, you know, like a, a robot uprising for lack of a better term um and mass effect 3 out of nowhere i mean frankly really makes that sort of ethical discussion about ai like front and center and it plays a massive part in the game's ending which to me just feels it feels like a ham-fisted and strange part to add about this game that is more about like culture and diplomacy and, and it's like i think it's the fact that it plays into the game's ending to such a degree that that is like very jarring to me like why is this now suddenly the main focus of mass effect where did this come from so um i might be wrong here but i have this like vague memory of like you know when i was like trawling forums back in the day when people were like really upset about the ending and like you know and, and also about like the um the, the one writer in particular leaving like there's apparently some plan to kind of like have three sort of like lean into a climate change angle where like you know and when you recruit tally in mass effect 2 i i think it's tally um there's this kind of like investigation of like basically uh, a sun dying out or like burning out or something and there's going to be some kind of and they're going to like lean into this like you know like uh some kind of i don't know like like uh element zero or something having some kind of like negative impact on the the uh the, the fabric of the galaxy that basically the reapers kind of like come into curtail yeah it and, isn't that is a big plot hole from two they really like, yeah they lean don't into it, that and it dies yeah. yeah, and I think the thing is, though, I think that would have been more out of the blue, to be honest, for Mass Effect to become kind of a climate change allegory in its uh, third act. But also, like, I mean, yeah, like the AI thing also does kind of, it doesn't come out of nowhere per se, but it, but it does kind of take a secondary plot element from the first two games and really bring it to the forefront. And it almost seems like kind of a, like, it very much feels like, uh, you know, I'm speculating here, obviously, but like they wrote these two games, they came out and then the question of, okay, what the hell are the Reapers actually doing? 
oh, we have this kind of recurring plot about AI. Let's make it about AI. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's, yeah. Like they really did kind of fall into that. And the thing is though, like, I think, you know, like it's, so it ends up being this kind of like, you know, and I think also part of like why people hated three was, you know, like it was the feeling of your choices didn't matter. Like saving the rack and I didn't matter enough. Like doing whatever didn't matter enough. It wasn't reflected enough in the, um, you know, in the story. And like, I, you know, I'm not someone who really cares about that all that much. Um, you know, like for me, like, you know, choices are interesting games insofar as like the way that they kind of like shape the experience in the moment of the decision and like the, uh, so I didn't really care, but also like it, but it is kind of like the same sort of problem of like, well, you know, these, these past games weren't really written with this conclusion in mind, you know, like they weren't so like, there's like, there's a lack of aim in these first two games that like ends up kind of like weighing on three. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, like, I, so I'm sympathetic to that, but also like, I do think it kind of in a weird way makes sense for like what those games kind of like what the Mass Effect games kind of end up being about, you know, like, like with the geth and like, or like it, it is the thread that I think in a, in a way kind of makes the most sense to latch on to. Uh, right but i think it's weird maybe it's i think it's weird that it is told primarily through uh the character of Edie. um who yes that is i think probably the bigger issue it was a very weird move to turn Edie not just into a companion like have a physical form who becomes an actual companion but also like a very sexualized physical form where characters cannot stop talking about how hot this robot is. It's, it's weird, man. Like, yeah, we've talked before on here about how, um, uh, about, uh, I, I guess I can't think of a classier word. Um, horny mass effect is, but, uh, boy, it gets, it gets really, really up there with Edie. It's- it's maybe like the dumbest way that the series gets horny is with Edie. That's yeah. Like it's like, it, it is very, very silly. And like the thing that's really weird, you know, about the, I think that's really weird about the ending, especially the original version of the ending, which was much shorter and kind of like more, um, I, I don't know what, the, I, I don't know what the right word is uh, abstract. One might say where like a lot of the kind of like the, the logic of, you know, like the narrative logic kind of strips away and you just get a bunch of like quick images and stuff is that like literally the end of that game, like, and it's kind of like initial, you know, like, so the census ending seems like the Canon ending, to be honest. Um, you know, it's the middle option that you can pick and the bit where um the bit where and basically like the final image is you know like some of your crew you know in the original ending like some of your crew kind of like walking out of the normandy in this like mysterious uh you know jungle planet and like basically not not kidding like in that ending um joker and Edie basically become adam and eve yeah like it's this like you know like they are like you know initiating sort of like the new like the new kind of like bio organic you know synthetic melding of being and that that's really really silly yes. like it it's just like it one it does not like i don't think at no point does it earn that you know and like that kind of like that core 
you know, it's still kind of there ultimately in like the extended ending. And I like the extended ending because my problem with it was that like a lot of like the narrative logic kind of like, you know, sort of, you know, got uh, shoved out of an airlock, but the um, space metaphors. Um, but uh, yeah, but, but, but like also like the, it has this kind of like, can, like this really kind of like core thematic conceit that just frankly having um it, you know recasting Edie as a uh, voluptuous uh lady robot it is the dumbest possible way to express this like like this theme you know it's just really in poor taste and it makes the character a lot less interesting somehow like Edie I actually I love Edie in Mass Effect 2 um she is a she is a a great a great component to that game um she is just a disembodied voice that like is occasionally physically represented by this little ball of light that is projected um and that's all she is and she is a she's a vi with a bunch of restrictions on her so that she can only uh she can only communicate with humans to such a degree and so, like, one of the running gags is that, like, kind of humor is lost on her, but then she basically, through machine learning, kind of begins to grasp humor and kind of begins to sort of, like, make playful banter herself. And she, like, like this disembodied, like, robot voice becomes actually, like, a charming character over the course of Mass Effect 2, and it's a nice little arc. And then in Mass Effect 3, she gets a body and only wants to talk to you about like how do i how do i make joker like me and it's like what what in the hell happened here like and yet and yet again the whole focus is still on like where is the where is the line between man and machine and it's like what because this because this robot wants to um get intimate with this human this is where we're like drawing our big thematic statement from it's it's so bizarre and it, yeah. and again that's why it feels so unearned i don't know i and here i am like crapping on mass effect 3 this whole time mass effect 3 is also awesome <laughs> mass effect 3 is so in my i mean i know you like it more than i do um or at least your as far as your memory serves you i i'm ha- I, i've been having a, a good time with it that combat is fun uh there are some really incredible character moments in it um the thing I love most about it is how it actually really goes deep into exploring space diplomacy because Mass Effects 1 and 2, you always have the, uh, you know, the Krogans are like, damn, Turians, we need to, we need to uh, show them that the Krogan are still strong, blah, blah, blah. And the, the Quarians are like, hey, we need to stop the gift, whatever. Um, and they, they have their little bickering, their little squabbles, maybe little missions that address it. Mass Effect 3 is literally like it's actually kind of the story is kind of relevant to what we've experienced in the last years one of the things that sort of impacted me is that Shepard basically has to play this great diplomat between all of the galaxy's species because the idea is that oh the galaxy is facing apocalypse everything is falling apart people are dying everywhere surely now everyone must band together and put aside their differences to stop this problem and no like no like pettiness and and uh old wounds 
really die very hard as it turns out. And so Shepard basically has to, the game is about scrambling around and like making species make nice with each other um, as they drag their feet to do so to face this threat. And it's like, well, yeah, that sounds, that sounds familiar, but at least Shepard actually got it done. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's actually, and as you describe it that way, and that's the thing is like, yeah, I, Mass Effect 3 is, you know, also pretty good, I think. Like, I think it's a better game than people give it credit for. Um, and yeah, I think that kind of like, yeah, that core conceit of like, okay, Apocalypse is here. Like, we need to kind of deal with like the big problems in the galaxy really quick so we can, you know, fight the actual threat. And I think that like, but as you describe it that way, I'm now kind of like, I'm sitting here imagining a more interesting Mass Effect 3 because I think Mass Effect 3 is great as like, a piece of blockbuster entertainment like i think it's like i think it looks great i think it plays well i think the um i think the combat focus actually really makes sense and coheres story-wise i think it has some great character moments i think the thanes arc like the conclusion of thanes arc in that game is great morden's uh, arc too yeah um yeah. yeah morden yeah morden's uh like arc is fantastic um like there's some really good stuff in that game um but uh yeah no like i'm also kind of imagining like you know if they leaned into like the climate change metaphor but not in like the direct climate change way but in the way that like what if the problems can't be solved as easily and you just start to like you know what if like you know the council starts talking about like what parts of the galaxy are expendable you know like what you know like what what there is a little there is actually a little bit of that in there Uh, i don't remember like what what yeah what what, uh, like what that is it's more just like it's more in like throwaway lines it's not a huge part of the story but like the 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 alliance treats earth as kind of expendable because earth is the first planet attacked and humans are still they're not lowest on the totem pole you know they manage to despite being the newest discovered species in the mass effect universe they still have kind of more clout and more sway than like the volus or the elcor do who are seen as still or like the aquarians who are still kind of seen by the masses as like sort of less than but humans are still not at the tippy top and the alliance is like look dude you know we'd love to help earth but we gotta you know put our resources towards our own guys so good luck you know or not the alliance excuse me the um the uh council um and so like that is kind of sort of how the game opens is the council refusing to send resources to help earth because they're like you guys you're not you're not priority number one right now sorry so that is and it is kind of a recurring theme too um throughout the game it's not like the key focus and it would definitely be more interesting i think if they leaned in on that aspect as you said but it is there a little bit yeah and i think like i'll say one thing that i think that game does pretty well is like it's a much more even though it's like its hub areas aren't gigantic like it's a much more populated game yeah then then you know like there are just like a lot more kind of npcs around and you watch you know and you watch these spaces like change and get more and more filled up with people as you know like more and more uh, planets become uninhabitable due to the ongoing war and that yeah. i think like yeah i just like i think that is some of the best stuff in the game and i wish it leaned into it a little more and i love that there's another element that i think is great is um the, the like you actually get to see like the lives of your crew a little more in mass effects one and two your crew you can only talk to them on the ship and they're always in a set location garris is by the guns 
you know, uh, uh, Morden is in the is in the the you know the laboratory. Everyone's in their set place. Miranda's in her office, and they're always there a hundred percent of the time, uh, unless you know you take some of them off the ship with you for a mission. In Mass Effect Three, they move around the ship. They like have dialogue interactions with each other. If you don't romance Tally in Mass Effect Two. Garrus romances Tally and you can watch like a relationship bloom between them and like they end up in different parts around the ship when you go to the citadel the hub world the characters are out on the citadel and you can go find them and talk to them and have like location specific interactions with them it, like those characters feel so much more alive in that game which I yeah. uh, is an aspect I love mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's really cool and they do it too with the um, even though I haven't gotten there because like I said I've only played like seven hours uh, the Citadel DLC at the end, which is a big, goofy, like, basically, if you could play Mass Effect fan fiction type story, it is like, it is the dumbest and goofiest Mass Effect gets, but it is very tongue in cheek and has fun with it. That does yeah. the same thing. It's literally all of your crew members from one, two and three, at least those that are still alive. Um getting together for sort of one last hurrah and everybody gets their moment and it's like a nice mass effect three does a pretty good job not so much at like you know really delving into like the psychology and the who's and what's of their characters as like two does but mass effect three has it does a good job of making sure characters like get adequate attention if that makes sense if that difference makes sense you know what i mean yeah no absolutely like i, I think yeah like I, I actually completely forgot about that until you brought it up and then it just came flooding back to me but yeah like having the characters just kind of do stuff on their own and you know, like do things like talking to people, it just it makes them feel so much more alive. They don't exist to stand in one place and just talk to you. Yeah. Like it's it's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. So yes, like I said, we might return back to Mass Effect in a few weeks. It just depends when I decide to pick it back up. Um, because again, and it's and again, it's so weird. We've just like we slam or we mostly me i slammed the game for 15 minutes and then i like sung praises for like 10 minutes um and uh it's weird because ultimately at the end of the day i do think that the praise outweighs the the, the slander but that slander the parts that are that i that i do not care for really do make the experience more of a slog than i want it to be but i probably will pick it back up soon enough um mass effect one very good game a little disappointing to revisit but a very good game mass effect two incredible game little problems with it but still by and large and a masterpiece mass effect three interesting very interesting in conclusion mass effect three is a land of contrasts yes that is there it is there it is everybody all right that's gonna do it for us this week we will see you next week stay safe stay healthy yeah, take care, everybody.